Good afternoon and welcome to the Common Room Podcast. My name is Aria and here with me today I have Catherine and Friso. We are in Krakow, Poland and um, yeah, we're excited to talk about Julian Assange today. Definitely a hot topic and we have some opinions. <laughs> so I hope that this will be a good productive discussion that will add some nuance to, I guess, all the information that we're getting thrown at us in the media. And that being said, maybe I will start us off by asking when the first time you heard about Julian Assange and WikiLeaks was. Yeah, I think for me, it was probably just seeing it in the news around, you know, 2010 when the leaks came out. um, And it was just constantly, I remember, on CNN and whatnot then. Uh, So I think that's probably the first time I heard about it. And then when he was in the Ecuadorian embassy for so long, that was also a pretty big story for a while. To be honest, I don't really remember since the first time. I mean, maybe maybe it was like 10 years ago when I was a teenager. And and the thing that always stuck with me was that, you know, he's a very complicated figure. And, and, and it was hard to empathize with him because of, you know, this, the, the, the rape case or the sexual allegations um, that were you know, broadly broadcasted in the media. But yeah, since then, I've done a lot of uh, a lot of reading about him and, and things changed. Okay, interesting. Well, I'm super excited to hear about that. Okay, so really quickly, I'm going to give everyone a timeline and then also just some context with the timeline. I do want to start by discussing some elections and political organizations that WikiLeaks affected in certain countries. So, for example, the U.S., Tunisia, Kenya, and the U.K. So I think it's not limited to, but these are some of like the bigger stories that came out, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then all of this started in July 1971. Assange is born in Townsville, Australia. <laughs> um, and he as a teenager, actually gains a reputation as a computer programmer. In an an interview, he said that he was really adept (laughs) or, like, really talented at figuring out how computers worked and hacking. And actually, he was charged in Australia for hacking certain intelligence agencies um, and other, I guess, organizations that he shouldn't have. And he avoided prison because he didn't release the information, I believe. But... He did get into some legal trouble there. 2006, WikiLeaks is founded, and it creates an internet-based dead letter drop for leakers of classified or sensitive information. And April 5th, 2010, so that's, what, four years later, WikiLeaks releases leaked video from a U.S. helicopter showing an airstrike that killed civilians in Baghdad, including two Reuters news staff. And this is the collateral murder video that has 17 million views on YouTube right now, but probably more from other places as well. And then a couple months later in July, WikiLeaks releases 91,000 documents, mostly secret U.S. military reports about the Afghanistan war. A couple of months later in October, WikiLeaks releases 400,000 classified military files chronicling the Iraq war. And within the next month, it releases thousands of U.S. diplomatic cables, including candid views of foreign leaders and blunt assessments of security threats. Yikes. November 18, 2010, a Swedish court orders Assange's arrest over rape allegations, which he denies. And then he is arrested the next month in the UK because of a European arrest warrant, but freed on bail. So then February 2011, London Westminster Magistrates Court orders Assange's extradition to Sweden. 
and he appeals. So then June 14th of 2012, so a year later, the British Supreme Court rejects Assange's final appeal and five days later he takes refuge in Ecuador's embassy in London and seeks political asylum, which Ecuador grants in August of 2012. And so that's why there's all of this discussion about him and the Ecuadorian embassy, etc., because he was holed up there. And then May 19th of 2017, the Swedish prosecutors discontinue their investigation and they say it's impossible to proceed while Assange is in the Ecuadorian embassy, which he still was. Then April 11th, 2019, the infamous video of Assange being carried out of the embassy after Ecuador revokes his political asylum. He is sentenced on May 1st to 50 weeks in prison by a British court for skipping bail and he completes the sentence early but remains jailed pending extradition hearings. May 13th, 2019, Swedish prosecutors reopen the investigation and say that they're going to seek Assange's extradition to Sweden. Then in June of that year, the U.S. State Department, or sorry, the U.S. Justice Department formally asks Britain to extradite Assange to the United States to face charges that he conspired to hack U.S. government computers and violated an espionage law. Um, And then later on that same year, in November, Swedish prosecutors (laughs) drop the rape case or investigation again, saying that the evidence is not strong enough and because of all the time that it's past so clearly this Swedish case is like in and out and it's causing like Frizo said some tension with or alongside all of the other stuff that's going on um, or what whatever else Assange is being charged for this is just like in the media adding press coverage also creating tension obviously not helpful to him and then February 21st, 2020, a London court begins the first part of the extradition hearings, which are adjourned after a week. And the hearings are supposed to resume in May, but because of COVID, they're delayed. And then in 2021, Yahoo reported that the CIA had discussed at the highest level to kidnap or assassinate Assange in 2017, which, again, adding more fuel to the fire. And then in January 24th, 2021, Judge Vanessa Baritzer concludes that it would be oppressive to extradite him to the United States because of his frail mental health, saying there was a real risk he would take his own life in December of 2021, so the end of that year. They overturned the earlier ruling, and the London High Court ruled in favor of the U.S. appeal to extradite Assange. And now we're here. So that was a lot of background. I'm sorry to our listeners, but I think that all of this, I mean, there was even more, but I think that this is just really important to understand because, I mean, even still we're missing the context of the actual things that were leaked and why this is such a difficult and nuanced case and also why it weighs so heavily in the hearts of some and while also some view him as a spy and a traitor, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going to have Catherine and Friso get into that. So, Catherine, why don't you tell us more about the U.S. and WikiLeaks and what was released in these documents? Thanks for that great summary, Aria. Yeah, so I'd like to kind of go over a few of the things that you talked about a bit more in depth, especially from the U.S. perspective. So, as you mentioned, in 2010, what's known as the Afghan War Diary was published, and that was the nearly 100,000 documents that were all from between 2004 and 2009. And these basically outlined a lot of previously unknown and classified information about U.S. actions in Afghanistan. So there were like hundreds of unreported civilian casualties, as well as a lot more friendly fire casualties than had been previously reported. And these documents also revealed the names of Afghan informants and essentially put the lives of 
these informants and their families in danger um, since those names were not redacted. And Assange did respond to the threat of sort of Taliban retaliation to these informants. And this is according to a Guardian journalist who said that Assange said that they're informants. So if they get killed, they've got it coming to them. They deserve it. However, so this particular uh, leak at the time was not believed to violate U.S. law because WikiLeaks didn't solicit these documents. They simply published them. And then later, as you mentioned, the Iraq war logs, that was sort of the biggest um, release. It was nearly 400,000 documents. And this included uh, around 15,000 civilian casualties that had not been reported. And as well, you talked about the two Reuters journalists who were killed from a helicopter. And some of the reasons that civilians were killed in these documents included coming too close to checkpoints. Um, Some of these civilians were killed by private contractors, such as Blackwater, which kind of adds another layer to this. And then there were also a lot of reports of human rights abuses amongst other coalition members, in particular the Iraqi military. And allegedly the U.S. military didn't properly respond to these human rights abuses by the Iraqi military. And interestingly, on this leak, WikiLeaks did redact a bit more information than they did from the Afghan leak in response to the criticism um, that they got for revealing the names and endangering Afghan informants. And so then we get to the Clinton emails, which is something that we could not hear enough of in the U.S. for a long, long time. Uh, So essentially what we know is that GRU officials known as Fancy Bear hacked into Hillary Clinton campaign staff as well as DNC, the Democratic National Committee, emails. And these were funneled to and then distributed by WikiLeaks in July through October 2016, leading up to the 2016 presidential elections. And uh, allegedly in some messages that uh, The Atlantic obtained, WikiLeaks offered information on Hillary Clinton in exchange for Donald Trump Jr.'s help appointing Assange as the U.S. ambassador to Australia if Trump won the election. Um, As we know, that did not happen. So this situation was a bit more controversial due to the potential motives and political aims that they had for releasing these documents, um, as opposed to the earlier releases that were showing different human rights and other abuses by the U.S. military. Catherine, what, what was in the emails? Because I uh, I think I, I, I heard the news about this, but I don't remember. Yeah, so a lot of it was actually quite mundane. Um, I watched a video today that showed actually a risotto recipe. It was a secret <laughs> risotto recipe that was describing in great detail how you need to slowly add the stock to the risotto to give it that really creamy texture. Um, <laughs> no, but... In all seriousness, um, it was a lot of emails. And this, I should also mention, is separate from the controversy of Hillary Clinton using a private email server while she was in the Obama administration. Um, So this is different from that. Um, But yeah, it was just a lot of emails. There were some related to Hillary Clinton receiving questions in advance of a CNN debate from a campaign... um, advisor, Donna Brazil, who was also a CNN pundit at the time. So there were some controversial and wrongdoings revealed in the emails, um, but a lot of it was, yeah, just very (laughs) mundane stuff as well. So what exactly was Julian Assange 
charged with. As Arya mentioned, uh, in 2019, he was charged with 18 counts related to obtaining, receiving, and disclosing classified information. He was also accused of conspiring with Chelsea Manning in the Iraq and Afghan document leaks. Um, He's accused of conspiring, aiding, and abetting her, not simply just publishing the documents. And additionally, he's accused of actively soliciting information intended to harm the U.S. government. So these charges, they're a bit more serious than ones that the Obama administration might have considered um, pursuing. Um, And yeah, under U.S. law do present uh, potentially very heavy prison sentences. And also, as Aria mentioned, uh, according to Yahoo News, um, last year they reported that in 2017 that the U.S. government plotted to kidnap Assange at the highest level, and there were some allegations uh, that there were also discussions of options for assassination between CIA Director Mike Pompeo at the time and President Trump. Okay, Catherine, so now, and also, Friso, feel free to jump in as well. You and I have talked about how the U.S. doesn't have a lot of whistleblower mechanisms and how we do have a cultural a culture of over-classifying things. And I think a lot of people wonder, was there an alternative? Did these uncensored reports, these hundreds of thousands and these videos, et cetera, did they need to be publicized this way? Was there a better way to publicize them? You know, maybe more ethical would have been to redact those names of informants. Was it a question of time? I mean, I don't know. Like, is time an excuse because they wanted to get this information out there? I, I, I don't know. Um, but I'm curious as to what your thoughts are. Yeah, that's a great question. And you're right that uh, I believe Julian Assange and other people at WikiLeaks said that just the sheer volume of the documents made it too complicated or it would take too long to redact certain information. Um, but I think that, you know, when you're potentially endangering people's lives um, and potentially causing harm to human sources that you don't want to increase the human toll when there's already been a human toll, as we learned from uh, these documents. But I did learn that uh, the U.S. military does have a Whistleblower Protection Act, and this was revised in 2013. So I'm wondering if it was revised potentially in response to this situation, but i don't know that for sure. But um, when it was revised, it essentially increased the statute of limitations and gave military service members more options of to whom they can report uh, violations and in what situation. And so potentially, I mean, we could have a whole episode about Chelsea Manning and whistleblowers as well. Um, But that's what I do know. And I do also know that this, the Julian Assange case has prompted more whistleblower protection laws in the EU and in other countries. And for non-military people in the U.S., um, different federal agencies have different protections for whistleblowers as well to prevent employees against retaliation um, for that. But yeah, it's a really tricky thing because when you have someone from, you know, a third state publishing this information in an uncensored way when not necessarily all of the information is evidence of wrongdoing by the U.S. government. Um, And it seems like sometimes that WikiLeaks, they've openly said that their goal is to kind of dismantle the U.S. conspiracy, as they call it, and the U.S. government and to harm um, U.S. intelligence. And I think that while these atrocities, it's good that they're public now. 
I think there's a lot of things that present a risk to U.S. national security, which is why I think it's maybe viewed a bit differently in different contexts. I mean, I'd, I'd would, I would say to that that U.S. national security poses a risk to uh, human life uh, in many countries around uh, the world. But I can understand that the U.S., the state itself, is trying to protect its interests. It's, it's very, it makes a lot of sense. And I'm not surprised that um, Assange is being persecuted in this way. But, but going back to your earlier point about um, the reduction of these documents and how this could have been better. I, I definitely agree. Um, WikiLeaks and anyone who publishes documents with, with names, with this kind of sensitivity, you have to do the utmost to to make sure that these people are safe. And But it's, yeah, it's difficult because they, uh, Chelsea Manning leaked uh, these things that we were talking about. So the Iraq war logs, um, the Afghan war di- diary, and um, we're forgetting the cable, the, 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 the something cables. I forgot about the... The diplomatic mm. cables, yeah. And she was uh, taken to court because she, in a chat room she started yapping about how she did this. And um, so she was arrested. She was, she was in court. And in court, the, prosec- the U.S. Prosecu- prosecution couldn't bring any case of any person that was harmed by these leaks or that was uh, because of these leaks. So I agree that you have to watch out for this and you have to, you know, the potential is already a bad thing, like potential for people to be harmed by leaking. But when when you stack it against actual people being killed, actual war crimes being perpetrated versus potentially people being harmed, but in, in actuality nothing happened, which is very good. I mean, we should all be happy about that. I think in this case, at least, it, it worked out in favor of humanity, I'd say. And it, it would be, yeah, it's a shame if, if Julian Assange said something like, uh, well, they're informants, so if they get killed, they got it coming to them. They deserve it. Uh, I mean, that's that's definitely not good on this, doesn't give a good look uh, on his character. Yeah, I think Frisa made some great points as well. Um, I do think that with regard to Chelsea Manning, we don't necessarily know based on time if any harm has come of it, and it still could potentially, um, especially now that... Well, we would hope that those people are out of Afghanistan now that the Taliban is back in power. Um, but I don't know. I was reminded a bit in an article that I read um, about the Aldrich Ames case, who he was a CIA officer who was a Russian spy. And he revealed the identities of Russian covert operatives um, in the Soviet Union. And at least 30 of them were betrayed and some of them were later executed. So these things like don't necessarily have an immediate impact, but they could have longer term impacts. But I do understand your point that what's actually been done is the most important thing. So what about the intentional timing of the Clinton emails? Does their publication undermine WikiLeaks? And then you have like this whole layer of Trump offering to pardon him if he denies Russia helped him to get access to Hillary's emails. So I think, you know, we're going to have two different opinions on this. So I'm ready to uh, hear them. I mean, yeah, I think that the timing does matter, especially since we know because of the Mueller report that these hackers were GRU agents um, using servers based in the U.S. So I think that, yeah, whether or not there was any intentional collusion, we don't know. But um, and I mean collusion between Assange, not we I think now know there wasn't collusion between the Trump administration and Russia. Um, But does the timing matter? I think it does matter. And I think it unfortunately undermines 
the credibility of this leak and the goals of WikiLeaks in general, whether it's to just, you know, have complete free speech and freedom of information about everything or to undermine certain governments that it views to be problematic. Um, I, I agree that it, it certainly shows bias. Uh, on the part of, at least it shows bias on the, on the part of WikiLeaks and Assange. But the bias, I think it's quite, it makes sense in, in a holistic view of WikiLeaks since most documents that they published are about administra- U.S. administrations that have come before, which Clinton was a part of. And uh, Trump, while not being uh, some kind of angel or something, he is at least, he's like a newcomer. He's, he, they, people thought of him as a disruptor. In many ways, and and he 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 was at least not I mean seemed to be not more of the same, not more of the administrations that you know invaded Iraq, invaded Afghanistan, you know did stuff in Libya. So I think from WikiLeaks' point of view, it's it's quite consistent. I mean, it's definitely biased, but I think it's easy to explain the bias without. I mean, if you just keep that in mind, you know, you always have to keep these things in mind when you're looking at media companies or any publishing platforms. So now that we have this background on America and, you know, why some of these releases were problematic, at least from an American perspective, because of how they possibly swayed or disrupted, I like that word, the elections. (laughs) Um, What about the EU and his time in the EU and uh, the perspective from, from here on this side of the world? Well, there hasn't been much official discourse or I, I have to say any, there hasn't been any official discourse about um, about Assange from, from the committee or from, um, let's say, from the, the council or anything like that, except for members of European Parliament that, that spoke out about him. However, the story of Assange and his arrest starts in Europe with something that has been referred to as the Sweden rape case. So how did this story start? According to uh, Niels Melsen, UN Special Rapporteur on Torture, I quote, In the evening of 20 August 2010, just a few hours after two concerned women, AA and SW, that's how they referred to, had first appeared in a police station to inquire whether Mr. Assange could be compelled to take an HIV test, the Swedish prosecution ordered the arrest of Mr. Assange and informed the tabloid newspaper Expressen that he was suspected of having raped two women. So this is how how Julian Assange actually gets arrested for the first time because of this whole case. And this is why, as Arya said before, he, 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 um, he was arrested in, in, uh, in the UK. And in the UK, he was left out on bail, but then he, uh, he was afraid of being extradited. He appealed. The appeal didn't go through, and then he fled to the Ecuadorian embassy, and that's where he stayed for years, for I believe it was seven years, but I'm not sure. I see people nodding, so it was seven years. So this is quite an important uh, case, and and at the same time, it obviously paints him as, uh, well, someone that does rape, which is not very good for your image and doesn't really help with your public support uh, if you ever needed that. And I think Julian Assange definitely needs that in his situation because it's a very dire one. So what is this, um, what's like the details of of these case according to the UN Special Rapporteur? There's some interesting things going on in there. For example, neither of the women wanted to classify it as rape. The, the woman referred to as SW said in a Swedish court that she, I quote, did not want to accuse Julian Assange for anything. And that, I quote, the police made up the charges. So that's, that's quite fishy already. And during the interview uh, with the police, so uh, 
these two women, they had sex with uh, Assange while he was there for a conference. And they were both concerned about how he didn't use a condom. And he wanted to go to the police to ask if they can kind of force him, basically, to do a STD test, to do an HIV test. Which is, I mean, yeah, that's good. I mean, that's a good concern. And, and that would be nice if that could be, you know, if the police can force such a thing. But, you know, it's not really what happened. And during the interview, when, when one of them realized the police was going to use her testimony to arrest Assange for suspected rape and not just to force him to, you know, do a test. She became so, I quote, emotionally distraught that she refused to continue the questioning and she left the police station. So these women come come in there to to ask something, you know, that is not that has nothing to do with rape or anything like that. And it turns out, uh, it turns into a rape case and it seems from the court documents that it was completely, yeah, how do you say, like, um, it was kind of forced by the prosecution and the police upon these women. And the, the, the Niels Melsen, the UN rapporteur, also says that even though uh, it's required to, by Swedish law, the identity of both women and Assange were not kept secret during the investigation. I mean, that's quite a normal thing to do. I think uh, it was preliminary. You're accusing someone of rape, but obviously someone is innocent until proven guilty. So you've got to kind of think about the fact that they might be innocent, which you don't want to ruin their life over this then. Um, also something that was interesting, like Assange did not get to respond to the allegation before the police leaked it to Expressen, the tabloid newspaper. That's as, at least very unprofessional. And then, uh, you know, there's this, this is a report by Melson. And it's it's only uh, like, I had like one or two pages that I used some, some uh, notes of his from. And there's 15 pages more of misconduct that happened in this case. There was, for example, disregard of exculpatory evidence or evidence that shows that Assange uh, did not do it. There was proactive manipulation of evidence and there was disregard for conflicts of interest. And there's a bunch of more things. So it's very, yeah, at least very unsettling this, that the fact that Julian Assange is in prison right now all started with a rape case, which is now called a rape case by these women and which shouldn't have been a rape case in the first place, according to them. But in Sweden, they have like a different law where even without consent of the victims, they can pursue a rape, uh, a rape case or rape allegation or something like this. So it's very... Yeah, peculiar at least. Yeah, it is. And I would say that I disagree. I don't think that's necessarily the only reason he is in jail and the only reason that this has started. Obviously, it has been a detriment to his case, but I also think his behavior hasn't helped. And maybe you'll talk more about this um, in a bit about his time in the Ecuadorian embassy. But I don't know if you've seen the videos about that, but I don't think that that really speaks to his favor either. And the fact that Ecuador, obviously, and we talked about this already like amongst ourselves about maybe some of the political reasons as to why Ecuador took him in and then didn't. But also <laughs> there were just like actual legitimate reasons as to why after seven years of being there, uh, people were just not happy with his behavior. Um, so yeah, I think again, this rape case is complicated and, and awful for all of those involved because it took so long institutionally, but I think it's not the only reason that he is perceived to be as someone that maybe doesn't have the most upright moral character, if that makes sense. Um, I mean, there's there's more things that, uh, <laughs> there are more things that speak negatively uh, to his character, um, but this shouldn't be one of them. That's basically the point. And also, what I meant to say is this is the, how he got arrested for the first time. He wouldn't have been in the Ecuadorian embassy if this case wasn't started. And and that's that's just, you know, maybe he was an asshole. Maybe he, uh, I don't know, I, I read something about that he was dirty or, or disgusting or something like that in the embassy. 
could be, but that's not a reason to put someone in a terrorist prison, basically, in Belmarsh in, in the UK. So, and, and even this was apparently not a good reason to lock him up, uh, according to the women involved. So Yeah, I do. I see what you mean about this sort of being the catalyst for everything. Um, and who knows if he would have been arrested or when um, without this. But I do think that it still does speak negatively to his character if the allegations are true because even even if the woman didn't want the case brought against him it still is considered rape to remove a condom without consent during sex and so i do think that you know maybe it's not to the same extent that we consider rape to be normally but it still is legally considered rape in a lot of countries including sweden i believe i also would say that if at this point he was someone that the police would go to you mentioned that someone went to express him to discuss that this was happening if he was already in that position of power or that well known then as a woman i think i would have been scared and i also wouldn't want to be playing with fire or trying to taunt this man if i've already seen this fickle behavior know that he's a little bit unpredictable and maybe dangerous and then this happens i'm not surprised i mean i can't speak for these women but as a woman i think if i were in their position i would be scared shitless so um yeah i don't know like i think that also adds another facet to it again and no one knows really no one was there no one knows so i mean i i I guess you're arguing that maybe the women were afraid the police was going to do this like pursue the rape case because he's in a position of power yeah and then they would get yeah exactly i think that there's sometimes a lot of victims would prefer not to disclose the crimes or the people that have committed the crimes out of fear that there would be retaliation from the perpetrators i mean i think we should look at the swedish police then for releasing their names and releasing that it was about assange and i don't know i think like if anyone was at fault in this case you know when it came to sensitivity of uh, the names and anonymity and maybe future career prospects and stuff I think it was the Swedish prosecution or no, police. No, like, a- why absolutely. are you leaking this? Absolutely. Even though you yeah. have no clue yet as to, to, to who is guilty and who isn't. Absolutely. No, I agree with you there. I'm just saying that maybe the reason that these women weren't trying to make a bigger deal out of it than it quote unquote was, was because of this fear. Again, yeah, it could, no, it one, could no be. one knows. We're all just... But in my, you know, what makes sense to me, uh, and maybe it doesn't, to you but what makes sense to me is that if a person embarrasses the most powerful country in the world with a military budget that you know the second third and fourth combined cannot compare to then it's going to be quite you know this person is going to be a target and anything that this state can do to smear this person or to prosecute persecute this person is going to be used so i take this context also into account and then it, it does seem like Sweden might have been trying to help the US or their ally in in trying to get Assange because when the prosecution wanted him to come to Sweden for for interviewing and hearing and blah 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 the the lawyers of Assange asked okay can, can you give us assurances that you won't extradite Assange for anything else you know just do the do the sexual allegations case and you can hear him in court everything will be fine and we'll w- work with them we'll work with you and they said, no, we're not going to give assurances. We're not, we don't do that. So, yeah, I mean, if it's so, if it's all about this rape case, then just should have given the assurances. And, and Assange was willing to come, according to his lawyer. So, I don't know. It's, it's very, I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm less, I'm more cynical in that sense that I think, you know, you have to take rape and sexual allegation very seriously. But the context here is so wild. Like, 
This is they they called him public enemy number one. They call WikiLeaks the hostile intelligence service. This is what the U.S. says about it. So I yeah, think that you, was you know. after the the case, right? Uh, I think this was during this was Trump. Like yeah, you're right. Quite yeah, a bit after. Yeah, yeah. And, and but you're right. the sentiment I, was there, let's say. You're right, you're right. I just, I don't necessarily think one cancels out the other. I think that both of these things could very well be true. And still, I, I think you're right. Like Again, that's why this situation is so complicated because there were so many wrong actions taken. I mean, from the beginning of like everything, the fact that there was even something to leak, wrong action taken, right? The fact that this wasn't disclosed, wrong action taken. And I'm not really one to cast judgments here because if I were in a position of power in these places, would I have known better how to communicate that to the public? Would I have known better how to maybe make something not seem something that it isn't? I, I, I don't know, <laughs> that's really complicated, right? Um, so, yeah. Hello to all our listeners. This is Editing Aria from a couple of weeks in the future. So we were unfortunately way over time at the studio, so we had to leave and we didn't really get a chance to wrap up the conversation. So I apologize because it's definitely not the most satisfying end. However, we have a part two coming out and we definitely wrap it up there. So see you in part two.